Well, it's great to be with you today, uh, a real joy to be in the lovely city of Edinburgh, but most especially with God's people worshipping our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ together. If you'd like to turn to your Bible, please, if you have one, uh, to 2 Peter chapter 3. It's, it's page 1224 if you're using the church Bibles. That's 2 Peter 3, page 12:24. The promise we read a few minutes ago from Isaiah 65 is an astounding promise. God says, look, I will create new heavens and a new earth. 700 years before Christ, the preacher Isaiah stands up and proclaims a promise from God. 700 years later, roughly 2,000 years ago, the apostle Peter writes in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with God's promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation just as our dear brother Paul also wrote with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking on, in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together, shall we? 
Our Father, we thank you for Peter, the Apostle's desire under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit to remind us of these things. And as you speak to us through your word and by your Spirit this evening, may we shape our lives in the light of the truth we hear. For Jesus' sake, amen. There's a certain time of year, we had it a few weeks ago, when we say Christmas is coming. And gradually, we all start living in the light of that coming day. Now, if you're a single fella, probably you start that about 24 hours before the day when you decide Christmas Eve is definitely the time to do your Christmas shopping. Uh, at least that's how it was when I was a single fella. Well, if that's true of a certain time of year, Christmas is coming. At every time of year, if we're Christians who understand the good news of the Lord Jesus, we should be saying Christ is coming. And we should be living in the light of that coming day. The first half of chapter 3 of 2 Peter reminds us that Jesus is coming back any day. And we must never forget it. The first time in weakness and humility, the second time in power and glory. It will be the end of the world and the day of justice and judgment. So the question is very simple. The question we're going to look at tonight is how should we live in the light of the coming day? Four things stand out of these verses. First, we should be godly in our living. Verses 11 and 14. So verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. Verse 14, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. You ought to live holy and godly lives. What is holiness? Holiness is like your toothbrush. If you can think of a better illustration of holiness, tell me afterwards. How is holiness like a toothbrush, you say? Well, holiness, do you have a toothbrush? Well, let me ask you a very personal question. Do you have a toothbrush? You do. That's good to know. Uh, do you have one that's yours? What if you come into the bathroom assuming you're in a, a sort of living arrangement where you're allowed to walk in when others are brushing their teeth and you discover that someone else in your home is using your toothbrush? How do you feel? Yuck. You see, that toothbrush, that particular toothbrush is yours. It is set apart for your use. It is holy to you. Set apart for your use. That's what holiness really means. And the heart of holiness is it's different from all the others, and so we should be different from people around us, set apart for God's use. And people who, are, who believe that Jesus is coming any day should live like that. Marching to a different drumbeat, dancing to a different tune from those around. And set apart not just for the Master's use, but to reflect the master's image. That's what comes out, if you like, in the word godly. You ought to live holy and godly lives. 
godliness, being like God. So the mirror is there reflecting the character of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what God is like. It's like he's like Jesus. So we should be toothbrushes and mirrors. We should be set apart for God's use and reflecting the image of Christ. What's that going to look like, these holy and godly lives? Well, things like honesty. When you're asked, did you do it? You will speak the truth. God is a God of truth. So if someone asks you tomorrow something embarrassing, that yes, it was you, you don't try and cover it up. You say, yes, that that was me, even if it's going to be a painful consequence. When people are slagging off, do you use that word, slagging off? Sorry, I'm getting very confused as to what English I speak where I am. When someone's slagging off someone tomorrow or this week around you, maybe someone in your class or just someone that you work with, and you think that's not fair, you don't join in. You speak differently. You try and find the positive about that person. There's something positive about everyone. Now, one of the great characteristics of godliness, of Christ-likeness, is self-sacrifice. It, it's there in, it's slightly disguised in the NIV, the New International Version, in verse 14. It says, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless. Now, those words have been used by Peter already. If you just flick back to 1 Peter 1, verse 19. The same root words are used in chapter 1, verse 19 of 1 Peter to describe Christ as a lamb without blemish or defect. If you know your Old Testament, you know that was so critical for the sacrifices, the animals that were brought to be sacrificed for sin. They had to be without blemish or defect. Without blemish or defect is exactly the same idea, spotless and blameless in 2 Peter 3 verse 14. So let me ask you, if you claim to be a Christian here tonight, is there a smell of sacrifice about your life? Are you willing to give up time and energy and money for the cause of the gospel? Well, if we have a sense of the imminence of Christ's return, then we should have that smell of sacrifice about our lives. My father's father, who survived being gassed in World War I, would say apparently at the start of each new year that things had got so bad in the world. He was, of course, a, a father in the time of the Great Depression in the 30s. He said, I think things have got so bad in the world that this is probably the year that the Lord Jesus is going to return. And he used to say that every January the 1st, apparently. But it's a great attitude to have, isn't it? To have that sense of the imminence of the Lord's return. He could come any day. He could come today even. Or tomorrow. Might be 2,000 years. We don't know. But we've got to live as if it could be today. Verse 14 has an interesting word. Uh, make every effort to be found. It's an interesting word, isn't it? To be found. Spotless, blameless. And at peace with him. One of the most helpful things I read about parenting was to try and catch your children doing good things and praising them for it. It's so easy to catch people doing bad things, isn't it? Uh, To find fault in people. Well, how about trying to catch people doing good things? 
your children especially, and then praising them for it. Well, how will the Lord Jesus find me if he returned today? That needs to be a question we ask every day if we're Christians. How will we be found? Well, we should make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. How should we live then in the light of the return of Christ, in the light of the coming day? Godly living, not crazy living, trying to read the signs of the end, as some people do, trying to work out the exact date. Jesus said, no one knows the date. Don't try and work out the date. Just know it could be any day. It could be today. Not crazy living, not lazy living. The other extreme, if you like, refusing to make plans at all, saying, well, Jesus might come today, so there's no point planning for tomorrow. Or just ignoring the return of Christ and being sucked into the world. John Wesley, the great Methodist leader, was apparently asked one day, I can't track this down, so if anyone knows the source of this, if it's true or just apocryphal, let me know. But apparently he was asked one day what he would do if he knew Christ was definitely returning tomorrow. And his reply, so the story goes, is he said, well, he'd go to bed at the usual time, he'd rise at his customary time, he'd have breakfast, and then he'd get on with his normal business. Not crazy, not lazy, but godly living. That's how we should live in the light of the coming day. Some people were telling me this morning, and it wasn't the younger members of the congregation, that they remember hearing my dad preach in this very place. Well, one of the great phrases I remember from my dad, I remember a few, one of the great ones he had was this. He talked in relation to how we view the end and the return, the end of time and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says it's about, it's a quality of life to be cultivated, not a calendar of events to be, sorry, Got that wrong. It's a quality of life to be cultivated, not a calendar of events to be calculated. So if you like those kind of alliterative things, then there you go. It's about a quality of life. It's about being godly. That's the first thing as we live in the light of the coming day. Second, we should have great expectation. Verses 12 to 14. Did you notice, as we read, the repetition of that phrase, looking forward? You ought to live holy and godly lives, end of verse 11, 12, as you look forward to the day of God. Verse 13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 14, so then, dear friends, since we are looking forward to this, that sense of of eager waiting. Uh, there's some discussion about the phrase at the end or the, uh, in the middle of verse 12, and speed it's coming. There's a footnote, you probably got it in your Bible. Maybe it's better translated to eagerly await the day of God. And I think that's probably a better sense. But have we got that great expectation? Looking forward to this day. Now, there is a sense, of course, that, that this is terrifying stuff. Verse 11, everything will be destroyed. Verse 12, the destruction of the heavens by fire, the elements melting in the heat. And yet there's also a sense in which this prospect is terrific. 
Verse 13, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. A universe with systemic righteousness, justice and peace, not only present in little pockets and occasionally, but fully at home all the time. Isn't that something to look forward to in a world full of injustice and conflict? Just at, not just at the global and international level, but in our personal lives. So much conflict that we have to deal with. So many unjust things that happen to us in life. Maybe you're struggling with some injustice in your life. Or that's happened to someone you love and is dear to you and it's eating you up. Or, or there's a conflict that you cannot see the way out of. Well, how wonderful to, to look forward to a day when righteousness, peace and justice will reign on this earth. Now, it's not that we don't do what we can towards justice and peace now, but we don't pin our hopes on success in this world. Great expectation. No wonder... The Apostle Peter says that there should be something which is most notable of all, noticeable of all, about the Christian to the non-Christian. Do you remember what it is in his first? I'll give a gold star to anyone who can tell us what it is in Paul, uh, Peter even's first letter, which he says is the thing that the non-Christian will spot about the Christian and say, I want you to explain this. I don't understand this. I don't get this. Why is it that you have... What's the word? I'll give you a clue. It's in 1 Peter 3.15. Don't you like teachers who give you the answer? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Because we're people of great expectation. Now, we may go through very tough times. Peter's already said in that first letter in chapter 1 verse 6 that uh, about the suffering grief in all kinds of trials. You may have to do that. It may be part of God's purpose for your life to bring you through times of, of suffering grief in all kinds of trials. And maybe you're in the middle of those at the moment. And yet shining through the times of grief, even then, when we've grasped the coming day and the, are living in the light of the coming day, should be this great expectation which makes us people of hope. So that non-Christians are queuing up to ask us, I don't understand, you know, you've just failed your exams, you've just been made redundant, you're, you're going through this time of stress or, or depression or whatever it is, and yet you seem to be a person who has hope. How come? And the answer is because as a Christian we live with great expectation of a new and perfect world through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Godly living, great expectation. How else should we live in the light of the return of the Lord Jesus, the light of the coming day? Now here's a surprise. At least it was for me when I was studying this. Godly living, great expectation, on your guard, thirdly. We need to be on our guard. Now does that sound a bit defensive to you? Well, if you read the whole of 2 Peter, you'll see that the centerpiece, chapter 2, in this letter is all about false teaching. 
and warning us about false teachers. So chapter 2 verse 1, there will, just as there were false prophets among the people, that's in the Old Testament time, just, sorry, I read that wrong. There were also pro- false prophets among the people, that's in the Old Testament, as there will be false teachers among you. New Testament times. Well, you see, if someone stood up in the pulpit and started giving false teaching, surely that wouldn't fool us at all, would it? That wouldn't attract us. We'd instantly spot it and we'd say, no, please, get out of the pulpit. Stop teaching us this stuff. How can false teaching be attractive? Well, Peter obviously thinks there's a danger, or he wouldn't be warning us as he does. Indeed, if you go to the end of chapter 3 of 2 Peter, verse 17, as he sums up what he's trying to say to them, he says, Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. These are people, as verse 16 puts it, who are distorting, particularly the Apostle Paul's teaching, as the other scriptures. Note that Paul's letters are classed with scripture. Well, the the heart of the false teaching seems to be in this area of how they viewed the return, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you go back to chapter 3, verse 4, these scoffing teachers, and it seems that these are the same people who are the false teachers of verse 2, are the scoffers of chapter 3, verse 3 and following. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. The years have gone by, the decades have passed. We can say hundreds of years, centuries have passed. Christ hasn't come back. So all this stuff about living in the light of his coming and the imminence of his coming, you know, that he might come today, he might come tomorrow, live like that, that's very unlikely. I think that's going to distract us from doing what we should be doing, living in the here and now. Isn't that faintly attractive to you? You don't need to worry too much about that kind of stuff, about the heavens disappearing with a roar judgment and justice coming in just get on with living here and now and enjoy the good things God gives us the error of lawless men see the danger is if we just focus on the here and now and push to the back of our mind or right out of our mind the sense that Christ could come any moment we will start to think it doesn't really matter quite so much how we live and it, it seems to me that the lesser Christian teacher focuses on the future and the return of Christ, the more lax they become in their lives. Now, the kind of thing that I suspect, though it's not explicit, that the writers, or the, the false teachers rather, were distorting in Paul's writings, the kind of stuff you read in Romans 3. If you've got a Bible, might like to turn to Romans 3 verse 8 it's on page 1130 in the church Bibles (laughs) 
Romans could not be clearer about how we are saved. It's not by anything we do. It's everything that God has done and his promises and his work through Christ. So it's all about grace as gift. Well, how do people respond to that? Chapter 3, verse 8 of Romans. Why not say, says Paul, as we are being slanderously reported as saying, and as some claim that we do actually say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is deserved. Let us do evil that good may result, that God may show more grace and show how kind he is by forgiving more sin. So let's sin a bit more so that God can forgive a bit more and show he's even more gracious than people thought before. No. Yes, we're saved by grace alone, but the, the grace that saves is never alone. It always leads to good works. Because the gift of full and free forgiveness is always accompanied by the gracious presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. So if you're a Christian today, let me ask you, are you on your guard against false teaching? Are you aware that in the Christian church there will always be teachers who will sadly distort the Scriptures? You don't have to go far to find such teachers, I'm afraid. They may not make it into the pulpit here. I hope they never will. But when you go home and you flick through your channels, you can always go to the God channel. I'm not saying it's all bad on the God channel, but there's an awful lot of rubbish. Awful lot of stuff which is not good teaching. I know very little about the church scene here in Edinburgh, but I would, if I was a betting man, I'd bet my bottom euro, which I know isn't very much, uh, that there are churches in Edinburgh which are teaching prosperity theology. And probably their pastors drive a Lexus, I don't know. Although I always want to say to such churches, well, I want to see the car that's driven by the poorest member of your church, not the pastor. In a prosperity church, it should work for the bottom, shouldn't it, as well as the top? Or is that a naughty question to ask? Or maybe just it's a, it's a slight deviation from the task of the church, trying to get the church guilty about not doing everything in the world, where really our task is, is the gospel and making disciples. That is our primary core business. There's all kinds of other stuff that Christians can and should get engaged in as believers, but as the church, as a body that meets here, our primary focus is very clear. Explain the good news, help people grow in their faith. We need to be on our guard against being distracted from the main thing. And living in the light of the return of Christ is absolutely key. Or we may fall from our secure position. Back to 2 Peter 3. What a terrible thought that we might do that. But Peter is, is, is firing a, a warning shot across our bows. We need to be on our guard. How should we live in the light of the return of the Lord Jesus any day? Godly living, great expectation, on our guard, and finally, we should be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3, verse 18. Be on your guard and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Now, half of the first chapter of 2 Peter is about the, how vital growth is for our security, that we need to keep adding to our faith, goodness and goodness, knowledge, etc., 1, 5 and following, so that we make verse 10 of chapter 1 our, our calling sure. If you do these things, you will never fail. You will never fall. I don't know if you did this when you were a kid. Maybe if you are a kid, you still do this. You learn to ride a bicycle. That's a great achievement in life, isn't it? Where you've actually managed to master it without the uh, stabilizers. And you're away. And you have a great time. And then one of your friends suggests, hey, yeah, okay, we can all go fast and whiz about, but let's see, let's have a slow race. Yeah, ever, ever done a slow Am I the only one? Or there are others out there who did slow races on the bicycle. So see that wall back there? Race you there in a slow race. Last to get there without falling off winds. And you're not allowed to touch the ground with any part of your body. That's very hard to stay up and be stable, isn't it, when you're going so slowly? And yet so many Christians seem to, to want to go as slow as they can in their Christian lives. They've been maybe Christians for years and years, decades even. But they seem to be going as slow as they possibly can and then they wonder why they're not very stable. They seem unconcerned to grow in grace, to make progress forwards. Meaning here, growing in grace, surely growing in the likeness of Christ, developing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's sad, isn't it, when you hear someone comment about another Christian, uh, do be careful, uh, they have quite a short fuse. Oh, do they? How long have they been a Christian? Well, they've always been like that. Really? Shouldn't be. If we have a problem with a short temper, we need to keep crying to the Lord for a longer and longer temper until we have so grown in grace that we never lose our temper. Now, I'm not standing here and saying I don't have my battles. I think where I'm most tempted is when I get behind a steering wheel in a car. That is when I find it hardest to put up with the uh, incredibly bad driving of others. <laughs> of which I am, ne well, not off, well, rather too often guilty myself. Um, or maybe it's a secret sin. With all the internet stuff, it's very easy, isn't it, to have private sin? Well, are we going to tolerate it? Are we just going to let it be and put our hands up and say, well, that's the way it is, I, I just can't get out of it, I'm addicted or whatever? No, grow in grace. Make progress, fight it with the help of God's Holy Spirit. Fight it with the help of friends who will pray for you. Or we may be in danger of falling from our secure position. But we need to grow not just in grace but in knowledge. Now there's some discussion as to what this knowledge is. The knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Is it um, knowledge of, of teaching about him, of truth about him? Or is it knowledge, is it a kind of personal knowledge, intimate knowledge? Well, even the very question, in a sense, betrays a failure to understand the relationship between the two. You cannot separate them. 
You cannot separate truth about the Lord Jesus from relationship with him. Not the kind of truth he wants to communicate. It's like two sides of a coin. Go back to the beginning of the letter, 2 Peter 1, and, and I think I can show you the kind of um, combination. So uh, one Peter, sorry, 2 Peter 1 verse 3 talks about our um, growing, or that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us. Note, it's the word knowledge there. Knowledge of him. Now, through his glory and goodness, he's given us very great and precious promises. You see, the knowledge of him is mediated through promises. And those promises, if you like, are, are teaching. So there can be teaching, like tonight, that, that God has promised uh, a new heavens and a new earth. That's, that's teaching. That's not experience of God directly. And yet it's so that we might know him better. It's our knowledge of him who gives us great and precious promises to the end that we would know him. So if we're going to escape, if we're going to participate in the divine nature, become more and more like God, and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires, chapter 1, verse 4, it's not a direct knowledge of him. It's through the great and precious promises. So truth gives personal knowledge. You can't separate the two. And it's a thoughtful knowledge. We think about what God has said. We think about the Lord Jesus and his teaching and his work. Because true Christianity is not a mindless religion, but a thoughtful trust. Just as you hope that someone who's on the way to get, getting married, not mentioning any names in this church at the moment, uh, but you hope that people who are on the way to marriage are thinking hard about the person. They're getting to know them better, but they're also getting to know truths about them. What are other people say? What they're like? What is the truth about them, objectively? And observing them in action. So that you combine truth, objective, if you like, could almost say in propositions, things that can be said to describe them accurately, and your personal engagement with them, your knowledge of them as a person. But if you're a Christian, let me ask you a question as we close. Are you growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, if you're not yet a Christian here tonight, let me ask you this. Did you think you had to leave your brain at the door to come into a church like this? I hope not. I hope that you realize that this intimate knowledge that we're talking about of God, this living in the light of the coming day, is a thoughtful thing. The true Christian faith is, is not stagnant. It's, it's a vibrant, beautiful, hopeful, living reality. Living in the light always of the, of the world ending and a perfect world replacing it of, and of getting to know God through the Lord Jesus our Savior, as we go and as we look forward to that day. And why hasn't that day happened yet? If it could happen any day. Well, verse 15 of 2 Peter 3, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. And the Lord has been patient for one more day because here we are at the end of another day. And if you're not yet trusting in the Lord Jesus, this would be a very good time to put your trust in him.
How should we live in the light of the return of the Lord Jesus any day? With godly living, with great expectation, on our guard, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together, shall we? The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Our Father, if we have come to repentance and are trusting in the Lord Jesus, we thank you that it happened before he returned. If we're not yet turned to him and trusting, Lord, give us a realization that it might be too late it will be too late one day and we must do something about it before it's too late meantime father for those of us who are trusting in the Lord Jesus and looking forward to his return we pray that we might be people who are godly in our living that the way we live tomorrow and in the coming days will reflect the imminence of the return of our Lord Jesus Give us great expectation as we look forward to the new heavens and the new earth, the home of peace and justice. Help us to be on our guard against false teaching which will distract us from truth and from living in the light of truth and thus away from our Lord Jesus. And Father, help us to be Christians, if Christians we are, who are always growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray it for his glory. Amen.